waited for this day We gather in your name Calling out to you Once again, open up uh, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. I want to, before we get started, just put out a little disclaimer. I know that I don't have to do this, but I, just so that everybody knows, I'm going to try to take it a little easier today and be calm and cool. And just my, my, my throat has uh, been, I've been struggling with it. So I'm going to try to do this with the least amount of coughing as possible. You say, well, it doesn't bother us, it bothers me. <laughs> and so we're going to try to do this the best we can. John chapter 4, starting in verse 23 and 24. We used this last week, but I, bear, I think it bears uh, reading again um, because I believe God's saying something in this. So look at that verse. It says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Now that is such a powerful portion of scripture, and one of the things that grips me, that, that stands out when, you know, and I recommend that you do this in studying the word. When you come across a verse that seems to capture your attention, Spend some time thinking about it. Take a moment to just look at that verse of Scripture. Spend some time and ask God, what are you trying to say to me? What is it that you want me to know about this verse of Scripture? And when I did that, what stands out to me is this thing that the Father is seeking such to worship. That phrase. And you say, well, why does that stand out to you? Because that means that God is intentional. God is seeking. 
How many understand that God's not idle in heaven? He's actually doing something. He's involved. And that needs to be something that we need to pay attention to, that, that God is actively involved. He's seeking such to worship. And the great thing about this is that what he's saying to us is he's looking for this certain kind of worshiper. And he says in this verse, he says, true worshipers. Now that grabs my attention as well because that would imply that there are people that are not true in their worship, that they're false worshipers, and so that there is a standard of worship. Does that make sense to you? Now the great thing about God, what I love about God is God never requires or demands anything from us that he's not willing to give us. The Bible tells us this, that in order to please God, we've got to have faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But what the Bible also tells us is that God gives every man the measure of faith. So what he demands, he gives. And so in this verse of scripture, he's telling us, I'm looking for true worshipers. I'm looking for people that will worship me. He says, that's what I want. I, I want that. I want you to worship me. Now listen, God's not up in heaven. He's not nervous, nor is he insecure, and he's, he's not wringing his hands. You know, he's not sitting there going, you know, I, I, you know they don't, do they love me, Gabriel? You know, you, know, you know, he's not worried about it. The thing is, is God understands that worship really is a vehicle of relationship. It's a, it's a way to enter into intimate relationship with him. And that's what God wants more than anything. I, you know, do you know, the, the, here's the statement. God loves you. We know that. We, you, know, f, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But let me tell you something. God likes you. There's a big difference. He, he likes you. He enjoys you. He enjoys. Have you ever been around somebody that you really enjoy? I mean, somebody that you, you get around them and they're always energizing. You know, they're not these people. You, you ever get around somebody that just, they, they have this ability to suck life out of you? And it's like, oh, man. But then there's people you get around and, and, and it's like, man, I just, there's so much fun. I love their perspective. I love the way they think, their sense of humor, all these things. Well, that's how God thinks about you. Do you know when he gets around you, he likes you? He will, he, you know, he wants us in his presence, but you know, he wants to be in your presence. Does that, does that make sense? He likes you. Hey, buddy, how you doing, man? All right, Corey, he's, you gotta like Corey. He's, al- he's always one, of, he's one of these guys that's one of, the, always got a smile on his face. He's waving and loves us. We love you. You're, yeah, Corey's shy. That's, that's the thing about Corey. He's anything but shy. <laughs> but you know what? It's an amazing thing, this verse of Scripture, because God not only says, I'm looking for worshipers, but what God does is God tells us how to be those worshipers. And that's what I want to pay attention to this morning. Now, I want you to think about another portion of Scripture, another verse. In Revelations chapter 4, verse 11, the Bible says this, you are worthy, speaking of, of the Lord, he says, you are worthy, O Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you have created everything, now listen, and it is for your pleasure that they exist and were created. Now I want you to think about that for a moment. Just think, you were created for God's pleasure. You are not by accident, you are intentional, and it brings joy that you are created. That's why God created you. Say, well, you know, I don't care what the circumstances, I don't care how you got here, I don't care if you were an unplanned 
person. I don't care if it was an accident, a whoops. God has no whoops. How many know what I'm talking about? God deliberately puts you on the planet because you bring joy and honor and you bring pleasure to him. And the greatest pursuit of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ is that we would give glory and honor and praise and worship back to him. That Let me say this to you. Everything that we do, everything we do, should come from a place of worship to him. That is the pinnacle of the existence of man is to worship him. I, well, I thought, Pastor, it was to, I thought it was to preach the gospel. Look at, preaching the gospel is a part of our worship. Listen to what I'm saying. Everything we do, we do in the context of worshiping him. That's what we've got to understand. In 1 Peter 2, 9, the Bible says these words, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own very special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are called into his kingdom, into this place of light, so that you can offer praises and worship to him. David understood this. David understood this purpose when he wrote in Psalms 103.1, he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. The word soul in this verse is the Hebrew word nefesh, which means to be a breathing creature. And it comes from a root word. It has a root word that literally means to breathe or to be breathed upon. Remember what Genesis 2-7 says. It says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God breathed into us the breath of life. And the result is we became a living soul. We were literally created. We were created to carry the breath of God at the core of our being. Now, I'm going to connect these dots here for you in just a minute. But think about this. You were created. You are not here by accident. You are here intentionally. There was a deliberateness about your life. The Bible says that there's a really unique translation of this statement. It says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And there's actually a, in the King James Version, it talks about in the bowels of the earth. And one, one translation says in the secret underground workshop, God formed you. Think about that for a moment. I, I always get into my mind the, the picture of God taking this time, this very intricate, delicate precision crafty, crafting of your life. You were deliberately and purposely made. Then God breathed a part of himself into you that at the core of your being, that would be alive. That's what separates you from every other living thing on the planet is that you aren't just alive, but you are alive because of the breath of God. And the statement, bless the Lord, O my soul, that David made in the Psalms here was his acknowledgement that that gift of life, that breath given to him by God was meant for one purpose and one purpose only, to bless his holy 
name. Are you hearing that today? See, we were not created for our own pleasure. Contrary to popular belief, life is not about your pleasure. Listen to me. I'm going to connect the dots. Okay, we were not created to pursue our own passion. We were not created uh, uh, to proclaim our own goodness. This life that we live is not our own. Can you say amen to that? We were given breath that we might preach, seek, praise, worship the one name that is above every other name, that name Jesus. That's why we were created. And it's in the midst, here's the great thing about God. God created us for his pleasure, but he allows us to revel in that pleasure. Come on now. See, if you seek your pleasure, church, it will be limited. You can only find so much. But if you live in his pleasure, there is no end to that pleasure. Are you hearing me? And God said, I want to, I I created you because I wanted you. I I created you because you make me happy. I created you because I find joy and pleasure in you. And when you understand that and you understand that he breathed that part of him into you so that you could breathe that back to him, that in that pleasure, you would be absolutely fulfilled. In that worship, your life would be changed. Look at our text again. Let's read it one more time. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Look at, he uses the phrase true worshipers. We need to pay attention to that because this is setting a standard. What is he doing? He's saying, look at, I'm telling you exactly what I want from you. That's wonderful about God. He does not leave us hanging. True worshipers in the context of this verse of scripture make worship a way of life. It's not just a part of their life. It is their life. See, there's a lot of misconceptions surrounding our understanding of worship See, worship is not just the portion of service that involves the music. A lot of times we think, because we call that what we just came through, we called our worship service or the time of worship. A lot of people, a lot of churches just use it for the late people to get in. It's just, it's just so that people, but that's not what it's about. And a lot of times what we do is we put a lot of emphasis on that moment. It's, it, and we think, well, that's worship. But worship, it, it, it goes deeper than that. Listen, worship is never going to be based on your terms. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Worship is never going to be based on your terms because if worship this morning is about pleasing you, then you've become the object of worship instead of Christ. And that's the problem today is a lot of people are going, as long as it's comfortable for me. I'll let that sink in for a moment. I worship as long as I'm into it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Instead of saying, God, what do you want from me in worship? 
We say, this is how I'll worship you. And God says, I'm not interested in how you'll worship. I'm interested in how I want it. Well, that's a little much. No, he's God. He gets that privilege. Amen. And the great thing about God is God's not doing that because he's some ego-driven despot up in heaven who's insecure. He understands <coughs> that his style of worship is what is literally best for you. He understands that this style of worship, what he's talking about, true worship, is what's going to set you free. It's what's going to make the difference in your life. Church, we have become far too independent in our thinking when it comes to our Christianity. We want to redefine. See, there's a whole movement going on right now in Christianity that wants to make God nicer. Let me tell you something. Before you ever came along, God was nice. He was more nice than you could ever describe. There's lots of people that want to take all the negative out of the Bible because we just want a really, really nice, loving God. Well, let me tell you something. Part of his love, part of who he is, is the fact that he is a good father that's willing to get into our stuff and deal with us. Amen. But what happens is we want to make God, it's, you know, God is love. Don't misunderstand. But God is not going to allow his love and who he is to circumvent what he said about himself in the word of God. And so he doesn't need to be defended. He doesn't need us putting words in his mouth. What he needs is for us to say, God, what is it that you want from me so that I can give you in worship what you want from me? And that's exactly what he's done. See, worship this morning is not about an atmosphere. It's not about a mood. It's not about a feeling. There's no doubt that emotions and atmospheres and, and mood are a part of our worship, but they themselves are not worship. Worship is about surrendering our will and our lives to truth, to the truth of God's word. Listen to me. The word of God is our worship manual. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Anytime you and I surrender to the word of God and surrender our will in obedience to the truth of God's word, we are worshiping him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Listen to me. Now, I know this can be a little bit, it's like, well, what are you saying? Because I thought, you know, when we came together and sang, I, I thought singing was worship. Well, let me say this to you again. Let me... Yes, worship is singing, but singing is not worship because we're singing. Singing is worship because God told us to sing. (laughs) Are are you connecting that dot? Okay, see, sometimes we think it's all about the song. Matt Redman uh, wrote a song years ago called uh, Getting Back to the Heart of Worship. And he says in the song, he, he writes the song, he says, we've made it something that it's not. He says, I thought you wanted a song. And God says, no, I didn't want a song, I wanted you. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Come on. 
Amen. That would be like making my marriage about the ring that's on my wife's finger. The ring on my wife's finger is a token. It's a representation. It's the focal point or it's the, it's the uh, uh, um, point of contact for my covenant with her. But it is not the ring. The ring is just stuff. It can be replaced. If, God forbid, she would ever to lose it, we could replace it. I would ask if there was anybody here who's ever lost a wedding ring, but I won't ask you to raise your hand. <laughs> the reality is it's not marriage. The marriage is the relationship. We, so making a song worship really is the wrong focus. And, and so somewhere what we've got to understand is that what we're doing is because we're in obedience to him. Because he said, sing. Look at Psalms 33 verse 3 says, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. A shout of joy. Then he goes on in Psalms 150, verse 6, he says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. How many here have breath? Raise your hand if you have breath. If you could not raise your hand, we will be praying to raise the dead after service. If you have breath, then praise him. Do you notice, and and I know that I'm picking on things here a little bit, but Do you notice that being quiet requires no breath? And if worship is about obedience to him, then when he says sing, that doesn't mean silently to yourself. That's not singing. That's thinking. It doesn't say think me a new song. It says sing me a new song. We worship him, not just in song, but we worship him in giving. He says, give, be liberal, generous, with a willing. He goes on in scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, I want you to do it with a cheerful heart. That word cheerful means hilarious, gregarious, large. He wants, you know what he wants us doing? I know this is probably going to make somebody upset. He wants us taking money and just going, everybody have a time. It's on me. Why? Because, see, when we're like that, see, God showed me a long time ago. He says, John, if you hold your hands like this, all you will be able to have is what you can hold. He said, but if you do this and let money and finance and resource flow through your hands, I will pour until heaven has nothing left. And he said, in heaven has an inexhaustible supply. He says, you know, you know here, look at the, the pipe that causes the water to flow into your house is always full and it's always wet. It never holds it to itself unless somebody shuts off the flow. But as long as there's a flow, there's always full pipe. I don't want to be a reservoir. I want to be a pipe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I want it to flow. I, I don't want people to come here because we're the guru. I want us to go out there because we're filled with life. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, worship is giving. Worship is in service. Worship is loving others. We worship him when we share the truth of the gospel with a fallen world. We worship him when we trust him and walk in faith. We worship him when we live in contentment and peace and joy and righteousness. We worship him when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to cause the fruit that only comes from the life of God in us to be evident in our lives. We worship him when we submit to his sovereignty and glorify his name. We worship him when we yield our lives to the endless amount of truth found in the pages of the Bible. A true worshiper this morning is a worshiper who from his heart has given themselves completely and wholly over to God in every way. David was a true worshiper. Listen to me. David was not a perfect man. David had some some troubles, didn't he? David David ended up in places he shouldn't have. David did some bonehead things. How many know what I'm talking about? But God's epitaph of David is that David had a heart that was after God. David was always in pursuit of God. Even in his insanity, when he went sideways, when when David did what he should not have done, when he was convicted, when Nathan came into the courts of David and said, you are the man, David was quick to repent. Why? Because David had a passion for God. He could hardly contain himself. The book of Psalms this morning declares the passion that he had in bringing praise and honor and glory to God. He knew no other way to live. It was all that was in him. Even his breath was given for one purpose, to worship him. My prayer, church, is that we would not shortchange our worship. My prayer is that we would not cheapen it or limit it to something that it's not. God has given you breath. You are here on purpose, and we need to glorify him by responding to his truth and to use it to bless his holy name. We need to fall in love with him again and again and again. Jesus writes to the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelations, and he says, I'm really proud of you, but one thing I have against you, you have left your first love. He said, there was a day when you were passionate about me. There was a day when you were deeply, romantically involved with me. You were intimate with me, but something has happened. You've drifted because God says, I've stayed put. In our text, the Bible says God is a spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In this scripture, it gives us the very heart of what God is looking for in worship. See, much of the time we put enormous priority into the intellectual side of worship, the mental side of worship. We spend a lot of time reciting information that we know about God back to God. And there's a place for that, and there is some merit to that, but that is not the heart of worship. See, most worship focuses on the cerebral, not the visceral. 
It focuses on the mind and not the heart. And the Bible teaches us to worship God in spirit. And he says what it is to worship God in spirit is to worship God from that innermost being, that, 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 that central part of who you are where all the good and the bad are given over to God. It's, the, it's that place where nothing is hidden, no secrets, no preconceived ideas, no bias. It's the place of intimacy. It's, it's the place where it's just you and just God, our heavenly father and us. It's in spirit. It's interesting to me. To me to note that it is that that comes first in this scripture he says worship me in spirit from the heart from the central portion from that place where i breathed into you worship me from that then he says and then worship me in truth see many have come to believe that somehow our minds must be a part of the worship experience that thinking that we know truth will somehow propel us into deeper worship. Simply not true. <clears throat> I've met people who know lots about God. They have amassed enormous amounts of information about him, but they never break through the level of intimacy of worship with him. No one will deny this morning that worship is a decision that involves human intelligence, but for the kind of worship that God is looking for, the human mind is too small. See, the truth is, is, listen to this, God is looking for our worship. He's not looking for something brilliant. He's looking for something broken. And you say, what, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Psalm 51, 16 and 17, David writes, he says, you would not be pleased with sacrifices or else I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you would not accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart, go God, you will not despise. Here's David in his psalm that he wrote for repentance when he sinned with Bathsheba. He says, God, I, I nearly lost you. Please don't take your Holy Spirit. Create in me a new heart. Cleanse me. He says, you know what? If Even if you got to take a, a, a hyssop, which is a really thorny bush, and drag it through me, clean me and cleanse me because I don't want to lose you. I love you and I'm passionate about you. It's that kind of heart. There was no brilliance in it, but there was a brokenness, a desperate, a passion that reached out to God. And that's the kind of worship that God wants. Can you say amen? amen. See, church, we're facing problems today that have no answers. They have no answers. There is no solution. All the world knows how to do is just bind us up more. What we need is an encounter with a living God. What we need is a heart that reaches out to him and says, I will worship you in spirit and in truth. Are you hearing me today? Listen, it's not that our minds are unworthy or unable to receive divine revelation but they are too limited to respond to the divine invitation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The intellect may discover the truth about God's worthiness and worship and, and may choose to worship, but to enter into that full dimension of worship and the intimacy that he invites us into is going to take a heart that's broken that says, I'm there, I need you. Here I am, all the good, all the bad, all the ugly, all the rot, everything that I am, 
Here I am, God. Open arms. And I worship you. Think about that for a moment. That's what God's wanting. Look at if we could ask God for anything, what would it be? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Have you ever stood and said, you know, I, if I could have an audience, me and God, all by ourselves, what would I ask God for? I have thought about that many times. And you know what? What you ask for says a lot about you. And you know what? There have been people over the years, especially in biblical history, where God has asked them, what do you want? Anything you want, blank check. Moses was one of them. Moses met with God, and he had an opportunity to ask him anything in the universe. But Moses, you know, he was, Moses was a good guy. He didn't ask for food or drink or gold or silver or prestige or riches. But Moses had a desire for something that was far deeper, far higher, far beyond himself, something more eternal, something more spiritual. Because, see, Moses, you know what, he lived 40 years in the court of Pharaoh. He knew what it was to be rich. He knew what it was to have every pleasure at his fingertips. He knew what it was to be pampered. He, he knew what it was to be in the lap of luxury. Had things not changed in his life, more than likely he probably would have become king of Egypt. And he was adopted into this family. But Moses, he comes to this place where he looks to heaven and he says, there is nothing, anything else that's going to satisfy me but you. And Moses basically had two requests. The first one was, teach me your ways. In Exodus 33, 13, listen to this. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Here's Moses. He says, I, I want to know your ways. I, I want to know your goings. I, I want to know what it's like to be you, God. I want to know you. I don't want to just know about you. I, I want to know the day in life in God's life. I want to know you. I want to know where you're at, how you're doing, what you're, where you're going. In the Amplified Bible, it says this. Now, therefore, I pray, if you have found favor in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you progressively, become more deeply and intimately acquainted with you, perceiving and recognizing and understanding more strongly and clearly, and that I may find favor in your sight. He says, I want to know you. I don't, want to, I don't want to have info about you. I don't want the 411 about you. I want to know you. See, Moses wasn't interested in God's ways just because the, it had uh, some sort of level of information. It came from a true worshiper's heart that was saying, I want to sign up for life, not just a chapter of it. I don't want just a slice of the pie. I, I don't want a little dab with you. I want the whole thing. I want to walk in eternity with you. He's saying, I want to experience you every day, God. I don't want just facts. I want a relationship. Moses hungered for God. Moses longed for God. And Moses realized that nothing. He knew. He had had it. None of that satisfied. You know what the problem with getting more is? More is never enough. It's never enough. You got to have more. And then, and then what's, what's the next level? What's better than what you have? More. It's never enough because it never satisfies. But he had a passion for God. And he didn't just have a passion to know about him. He had a passion for his presence. 
Let's stop and think about that for a moment. How does that have anything to do with us in our worship service? Do you realize this morning that you can experience God's grace without experiencing his presence? Listen to me. You can understand that Jesus died for your sins and never have an intimate relationship with him. You can know of him, but really never know the one who loved you first. What a shame to be saved and not really enter into the joy of knowing Jesus. Think about that for a moment. Churches are filled with people who know of God, but they don't really know him and have never experienced his presence. And many never want to. Why? Because being in his presence will change you. You do not leave the presence of God unchanged. You don't, re- you don't wrestle with the angel of the Lord all night and don't walk away limping. Are you hearing what I'm talking about? The problem is, is we're afraid of it. What if he did show up? Now what? Oh, goodness. It's kind of like when people show up at your front door unexpected. You hear a knock on the door. Knock, 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 knock. The first thing we do is hide. Everybody hide. Everybody be quiet. Shh, don't say it. Shut up. Get on the floor. Grandma's walking through. Get down, Grandma. I want them to see you. We're not here. Why? Why is that? We want to hide. Why? Because the house is dirty. Come on. Yeah, I've been to some of you ladies who are like immaculate. You know, there's like one speck of dust. And you go, oh, dear God, it's dirty. You don't know dirty. My mom, hey, when I, when we, my kids, I always get frustrated with my kids because we used to say, you know, it's gonna, we're going to clean. You know, when we, when we cleaned when I was a kid, first off, everybody goes, oh, you're spoiled because you're an only child. No, I had to do all the cleaning, Andy. There was, you know, Andy's, well, Jason ain't doing the dishes. Well, there was, hey, the dog didn't know how to do the dishes. I couldn't make him. I was the dishwasher. They didn't buy a dishwasher until I was 18. I was leaving the house, and then they bought a dishwasher. I went, why? They said, because you're leaving. <laughs> I was the dishwasher. When, we, when my mom cleaned the house, we moved the couch and cleaned the baseboard behind the couch. I never understood that. I said, why? She goes, because I know it's dirty. I said, well, no one else does. It's always a different generation. Come on now. House is dirty. We're all hiding. Or we're sitting in our shorts with no shirt on. That's always pleasant around my house. It's quite the sight. Run! Hide! They're coming. Well, that's how God... If God were to come to your house, we'd all hide. As if he don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm a little off track here. I want you to listen to this verse of scripture. This should should grip us. Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, 
in heaven. Do you remember what we said worship was in the beginning? Worship was surrendering to the will of the Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we've, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name? And done many wonderful works in your name? And, I, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So why is that so scary? Because he, first off, he, he uses this phrase, Lord, Lord. In Greek writing, whenever they use, would do that, that was, that was an indication of intimate intimacy. So Jesus says, not everyone that says they're intimate with me will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father. In other words, there's got to be a level of worship in our lives that takes this stuff really serious, church. Sometimes we think, well, I've done a lot of stuff in his name. I've done this, and I've done that, and I've done... And that's all good and well. But in, in the end, church, what God's looking for is a surrendered heart. True worshipers make worship about a lifestyle. Our worship should hunger for God. You say, why? Well, because worship establishes the presence of God. That was the second thing that Moses asked about. He says, please let me see your glory in, Psalm, or in Exodus 33, 18. He says, show, now show me your glory. Now that you've shown me your way, show me your glory. The Hebrew word for glory literally means God's honor, his renown, his majesty, the weight of him, the visible splendor. And the word glory that's used in this setting is closely related to the presence of God or the face of God. Moses wanted to behold God face to face. He, he wanted a, a, a visible encounter with the living God. He was not content with business as usual. He wanted God to show up in his life. And my question to you this morning is, are you tired or are you content with business as usual? Going through the motions, showing up Sunday after Sunday for worship service and not having your soul stirred, leaving the same way you came in. Don't you want God to show up in your life? Listen to that you know, we, oftentimes what happens, church, is we've reduced ourselves down to needing somebody to stir them. I, I've thought about this, and I've thought, God, is it my job to stir them? And according to Scripture, it's not. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Young Timothy, stir the gift that's in you from the laying on of hands. In other words, there is an inherent responsibility in me that I would stir myself. Oftentimes people leave churches and they travel around looking for what's the most comfortable or what's the most, where they can be fed. Oftentimes the reason people leave churches because they don't think they're being fed is because they're not eating. What we need is we need a passion for God. This is I'm hopelessly, desperately in love with you, God, and I want more of you, and I am not going to stop at anything until I get more of you. And if that means i got to act wild and crazy, then so be it. We need a hunger for God. Why? Because we need an encounter with God. Church, there are things going on, and I've said this before many, many times. There are things going on in our lives right now where there is no answer for it. There's no answer for it. I counsel people all the time that bring questions. They say, what am I going to do now? I don't know. 
But I do know one moment, one second, one millisecond in the presence of God, all that stuff changes. All of it goes away. There is an answer. I shared with you last week about the demoniac. No one could fix his problems. All they could do, the best they could do, was chain him to a tree. And over and over again, he would break the restraints and end up in the same place of death as he always did. But one moment with Jesus, and, and you got to know the whole story, because usually we stop after where he is seated, clothed in his right mind. But there's the rest of the story. Because after that, after he was clothed and seated in his right mind, he says to Jesus, he says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, I don't want you to. Go back home and tell, the, the, the home, tell your home, the people that you know, the good things the Lord has done for you. And the reason that's interesting is because at that moment is when everybody from the towns around there came and said, Jesus, you freak us out. Get out of here. But the next time Jesus came through. The next time they came through, they all greeted him. They, they ran to him. They wanted him. They needed him. Why? Because a lonely old demoniac had an encounter with Jesus and went home and told them about the good things God did. How many know this morning when you testify of the goodness of God, you're worshiping him? Yes. Church, we cannot be silent anymore. Amen. Revival broke out in 12 cities, 10 cities. What was it, Jeff, 10 or 12? 10 cities, Decapolis, it stands for 10. Revival broke out. By the way, our sermon for next week is worship brings revival. And let me tell you, it does. We're wanting, we're, we're asking God, bring revival. But we stand and wait. You are revival. You carry the seed of revival in you. He said, I breathed in you. Go breathe. <laughs> That's a whole sermon right there. Look at, I'm, uh, I got to finish this up. See, it's this kind of worship that invades every circumstance. It's this kind of worship that moves in power that demonstrates his grace, that reveals his strength. Listen to me. The walls of Jericho came down because of worship. The children of Israel defeated whole armies because of worship. Paul and Silas were set free from prison because of worship. Church worship is the key. Everything in life should flow from our worship. I've got six things here that I'm going to speak very quickly that will help you. Number one, when you come to church, when you come into a worship service, you need to anticipate God's revealed presence in worship. You know what it is to anticipate? Have you ever anticipated? You know, have you ever had somebody, they've said, hey, look, we're going to make our, the, your favorite food, and your mouth starts watering? That's anticipation. Or if you're my daughter, Amy, and you say, we're going to Disneyland today, you'll see a level of anticipation you have not seen. 
could have known the man. It's anticipation. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I can't wait. Sometimes the anticipation of something can be greater than the something. In this case, it's not. Anticipate. So many times we, we come with very little anticipation. It's like, yep, just another day, another dollar. Another service. We're just going to check in, check out, go home, eat cheeseburgers. You need to come with anticipation. I'm looking forward. I can't wait to get there because I don't know what God's going to do today. I don't know what he's going to do. He's going to speak to me. He's going to challenge me. He's going to, he's going to touch me. He's going to, something is going to be different today. I cannot wait to get into the presence of God through worship. Second thing is we need to expect God's power to work. I expect to be different today. Not because the preacher made me different, not because the songs are, not because the performers did anything, but because I got into that worship and that, that worship, that presence, the presence of God was able to penetrate my deepest, darkest places and shine light where I knew no light had shined before. It was that place that made the difference in me, changed me. I expect that. The third thing is participate from the heart, not from the mind. It's a little different. See, in the mind, it, in the mind, it's choreographed. That's choreography, is the mind. From the heart, it's chaotic. I'll share a little bit more about this next week, but revival is chaotic. Revival is messy. If you're looking for order, you better not have revival. Think about when a woman has a baby. There is nothing in order about that. Trust me, I've seen it. When Kathy had Amy, it was like, dear God. I was in the corner. That's, it's, and God calls that perfect order. It looked like chaos to me. It looked like a plane wreck. It was bad. It's true. But we need to participate. And sometimes it gets a little bit chaotic. Well, God's a God of order. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is. And that's what leadership's for is to help you maintain that. But somewhere along the line, we need to participate in the heart of worship. Then we need to listen for God. Listen, he's speaking. He's speaking to some of you right now. He's talking. Jesus put it this way. In, I'm, I'm going to use 1970s CB vernacular. Breaker, breaker, do you have your ears on? <laughs> Jesus put it this way. He who has ears, let him hear. Breaker, breaker, one nine. I was the cookie duster in the 70s. The fifth thing, you'd have to live through the 70s to understand that. My dad was Diamond Jim. Anyway, we traveled a lot in the 70s. The fifth thing is open yourself up to new manifestations. You say, what does that mean? You got to get God out of his box. You cannot expect God to behave. He won't. 
it. He's just not going to. He's not going to do it your way. Somebody came to me the other day and said that, um, that October 23rd or 22nd or something is the day Jesus is coming back. And, and I chuckled and I said, you know, my estimation is even if that guy got it right by some sheer stroke of luck, I think God would change it just so it ain't right. Say, no, no, it's the 25th. You missed it, told you. I don't know. I think what we do is we put God in a box and we, we nail him down and we say, this is how you have to behave in church, God. And God says, no, this ain't about you. This is about me. <clears throat> and this is what I want to do. Now, look at, please don't misunderstand this. Please don't take this into the extreme. God is a God of order. And God does things in certain ways and there are certain prescribed things and all of that. But listen to me today. God wants to get out of the box. He wants to be something new and fresh for you. And finally, be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Where is he taking you? What is he wanting from you? If you'll do that, you'll find yourself in true worship. You'll find yourself in that kind of worship that touches the heart of God. I close with this statement. A.W. Tozer wrote these words. He said, the world is perishing for a lack of knowledge of God. And the church is famished for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter in the, to the presence in a spiritual experience and to become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us because of worship. Ah, oh, church. <clears throat> I preach this thing. See, my goal today is not to flatter you with words or to make you feel good. If you walk away feeling good, then thank you, Jesus. But that's not my goal. My goal is to share what the Word of God says about who we are, about what He wants to do. Not to water Him down or to exaggerate Him. I do not have to defend Him. What I want to do is present him. But I want you to enter into him. I can't make you do that. You have to choose to do that. See, ultimately in the end, worship is a decision. It's a decision that you make. It says, you know what, I'm done with this same old, same old. I, I need something. I, I've got some problems. I've got some difficulties. I... I'm hungry for him. I want to know him. I, whatever it is, whatever that thing is inside you that, that you're there and that, that, that breath, that, that seed of God that he breathed, that you'd let that come out. Oh, church, we will not be able to contain what he'll do. Nothing. There will be no container that will hold it if we'll just worship it. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your glory. Thank you for your abundance. We thank you for your word that leads us, that teaches us, that instructs us in the ways of righteousness. Father, we love you today and we praise you. We ask today for your help.
We ask, Lord, that you would help us, Lord, to stir ourselves. Lord, I ask that you would breathe upon the flame. Lord, but I'm, I'm reminded right now of the word, the prophecy of Jesus. You spoke this of yourself, that you wouldn't break a broken reed and nor would you put out a smoldering flax. But I see in my mind's eye, Lord, that you come along to those that through because of circumstances or this life are smoldering, that the fire is all but gone. But Lord, I see you coming gently cupping your hand and gently breathing on that flame to reignite us. Father, you love us so much. Oh, you are so good to us. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would breathe in this room. Father, breathe in this room. Church, listen to me. He's in this place right now. This is holy ground. I feel his presence. He's moving some of your lives. Some of you are feeling touched by him right now. You're feeling that goodness. You're feeling that presence. Covet that desire, that hunger for that. He said in the Beatitudes, blessed are the hungry. They should be filled. He will fill you. He won't fill you with just anything. He will always fill you with himself. Thank you, Father. Let us, Lord, be a church that first and foremost worships you. Of all the things that we do, Lord, let us be known as people that are true worshipers, understanding that everything we do, from picking up paper on the floor to preaching the gospel of Jesus, is an act of worship unto you. That when we go into the nations of the world to share the love of God, that in fact we go in the power of worship. That we are worshiping you in those moments. That when we speak and testify of the goodness of God in us, Lord, that we are worshiping you. Lord, that you would be glorified. We love you today, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed if you're here today. You'd say, Pastor, I don't know what it is, I, but man, I feel like I need to give my life to Jesus. I've never, get, I've never been saved before, but I know of. I've never asked Christ to come into my life. I, I don't even know what that really means. If that's you, would you acknowledge that by raising your hand? And say, that's me, I need him, amen. I see that hand, I see that one. You can put it down, I see that one others today. I need Jesus. I need him today. Amen. People often ask, is that prayer what saves you? No, it's certainly not. Jesus is what saves you. Is it, well, why do we say the prayer? Well, we say it because Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart, and then it says a very important part, if you confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. So we'd just like to help you make that confession this morning. You'll have to make it many other ways throughout the future, but this confession comes today and Jesus is paying attention. And if you would pray this prayer with me, say, Lord Jesus, 
I ask you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord and my Savior. I give you my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or the 101st time, it's simply the greatest thing that you've ever done. He said, what do I do now? Follow him. That's salvation. Follow him. We'll want, we want to help you in that journey. We want to help you to find that place. So I'm going to ask my prayer team, my ministry team, if they would come forward. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time or the whatever, you come up and talk to them. If you need prayer for anything, come on up, let them pray for you. Let's stand to our feet all across this place. We're going to release you today and let you go. God bless you. you